know this is a separate conversation. The Pac-12 is just kind of fun. I mean, I, good. I enjoyed watching that USC Oregon State game. Yeah, I was that was for fun. Oregon State. Yeah. It's like this is a fun game to watch. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm you know we've been pretty down on the Pac-12, rightfully so, in the past few years. And it's like I really enjoyed this slate of games. And I'm excited. There's some really good games. We'll get into it with Duck Jen or a corner later, but there's some really good games coming up this weekend and the next couple weeks. Shit. Washington's good. USC's yeah. good. Wazoo is good. Utah is good. Oregon State's Oregon State's decent, solid. At the very least. Yeah, yeah, Oregon State's very solid. And that's half the conference. Yeah, but then the rest of the conference is pretty bad. Yeah, but look at the Big Ten. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Flock Pod. We are at hashtag 125 here at Chopper Base. The dogs are running around like crazy outside, getting all kinds of filthy, dirty, like whatever. I don't know what they're up to out there. But if you would be so kind, please go find us at the Flock Pod on all of your favorite podcast streaming platforms on the Spotify, on Apple iTunes, on what's the other one? Uh, Stitcher, I think's out there. There's a couple other platforms out there. Go click the subscribe. Go give us the five star ratings. Also, please go find us on all of your favorite social media platforms at the Flock Pod, Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, smash that like and follow button. Give us those retweets on Twitter. That's what we are here for. The Twitter clout, of course. You can find me at Coach Justin D on those same platforms. Shane, tell them where you are. You can find me at Bartender Shane 6 on Twitter and at Walk of Flock of Shane 6 on Instagram. What the hell is Chopper Base? <laughs> I was going to ask the same exact thing. <laughs> it's just, uh, I, re- I named our Wi-Fi that today because we needed a Wi-Fi name, and it's just a nerdy thing off Star Wars Rebels, just a, another animated show that you guys probably have no interest in Why am watching. I not surprised? <laughs> I it's thought amazing. I was going to guess, like, Marvel. Yeah, like, um, one person out there is probably like, oh, Chopper Base, that's so funny. Um yeah, yeah, but uh, Wi-Fi is working well so far, so hopefully no uh, technical difficulties. Um, I found out that both my modem and router are basically Stone Age products now, so I need to invest in <laughs> some uh, some new technology to help it out a little bit, but we'll be okay. All right, let's just jump right into it here, gentlemen, but definitely an incredible victory, 44-41, to the comeback against the Washington State Cougars. Shane, I always like throwing it to you first because I like the 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 bar kind of version of the game taken, and then I know you I know you went and did that recap for us today also. So tell us tell us kind of your well, how you were feeling when you left work Saturday, and then what you're feeling now after your your review. It was the workday was funny. It was fairly split. I got to watch a lot of the first half at work. It was fairly slow. The game was on Fox, you know, so it's a national broadcast. Anybody with rabbit ears gets to see it. And it's an away game. So more people watching the game at home. But it's something funny happened around halftime. Got really busy with a lot of just like despaired 
Oregon fans that I heard some of the wildest shit. Like it was even just like through the start of the third quarter, just a lot of like this team's so, so overrated. BYU apparently isn't good now. That win means nothing. Uh, my favorite quote, and I don't know if this is accurate or not because uh, I don't have enough information, but my favorite quote was my club women's rugby team tackles better than them. <laughs> <laughs> Which was interesting because I didn't think tackling was really the issue in the first half. <laughs> but fantastic. I also don't know. Maybe that rugby team was the best club rugby women's tackling team in the history of the sport. So <laughs> you never know. Uh, so, yeah, it was really interesting to go back and kind of watch it again. And, I mean, it, it was a great environment uh, because, like I said, the, the bar got really full. And with that big turnaround, people love it, uh, you know. People love a comeback. So people who weren't really even into Oregon football as much were getting as really excited, a lot of high-fiving and such. But it was it was a, a reminder of how fragile this fan base can be sometimes, especially when it was like, I mean, we're talking about a one-score game and people were talking like the season was over um, and also really just discounting how good of a Washington State team they got up there in Pullman. No doubt. No doubt. And uh, I had neglected to uh, introduce Shane. You got me all distracted. But we are, of course, also joined by our third Duck Migo, Mr. Duckswire himself, Zachary Neal. Zach, you and I, I saw you out there in the Twitter on the Twitter, you know, front lines during this game. What was what was it like kind of taking in that dual screen experience? And then what was this game like also having a, a little munchkin at the house? You know, is that what did that change the uh, the viewing at all for you? Honestly, the the having the kid part of that didn't really change much because I have a very wonderful wife who actually knows that I'm watching the game for work and not just for fun. <laughs> so she was able to actually just take her off my hands for those, you know, four hours, which is wonderful. Um, but yeah, I, I can't stand watching games, not at the field anymore, not in the press box because watching it, especially when I have, you know, friends and, and, you know, coworkers, I guess I'd call them that are at the games there. I wish I could travel, but, you know, for obvious reasons. So, you know, watching through a second screen, it always kind of feels like you're, you know, 20 seconds behind the action if you're following it on tweet deck and following it live. So um, that's weird. But in general, I just think my main takeaway is this was just, it was just such an important game for the ducks to have. Uh, it was such an important Dan Laning marquee game early on in his tenure to kind of show that, you know, they've got this grittiness in them. We've seen a, a various amount of games and outcomes so far this year. We saw a blowout loss, a blowout win. We saw a really solid win against BYU. And then we we really saw a tough it out, gritty, come from behind win against Washington State. So I thought that was just really important to see that this team ha is capable of doing that. They're capable of, you know, really being put to the test and really having to pull themselves up by their bootstraps late. And they got the job done. So I, you know, we can talk about what we learned later, but I, I feel like this game more than any other, we really learned a ton about who this team is. And Lanning said that after the game, he said, hey, this was where you know, we really showed our, our identity in this game. We really showed who we are. So I thought that was important. I think, and part of that identity, I think, was developed by just how that offensive line and those running backs worked in such beautiful synchronicity to get the, the heartbeat of this team and get that momentum moving forward. I mean, 
Bo Nix played a tremendous game. I, I have to, I have to give him credit. Uh, my stock in him in the early stock draft is just looking better and better. 33 of 44 for 428 yards and three touchdowns. But again, I think it comes back to Bucky Irving. It comes back to Noah Whittington. It comes back to that offensive line and the fact that Alex Forsyth has been able to remain healthy and be the, the field general there in front of Nick's making sure that he's protected. That was just a thing of beauty an absolute thing of beauty. So again, I don't know where you guys want to kind of go from here. This was just such a crazy game. Shane, do you have a little bit of like just a, a rundown kind of of the, the, the crazy fourth quarter? I mean, again, Oregon goes 29 to 14 there outscores them. So did you, did you take your notes of this one? Or, I mean, uh, I got notes, but it's not necessarily like a, a breakdown play of, by play of the fourth down. You got the play by play. Yeah. I've got the play by play. Yeah. Let me, uh, well, I mean, because we, I mean, we can talk a little bit about that first half, obviously the pick six, just a crushing, crushing play that really, I think broke the hearts of a lot of duck fans. Like Shane is talking about the the theme just coming in, you know, them basically having their own version of Kenny Wheaton is going to score and thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to be a play that's going to, you know, begin the rise of our program and all of that. And just ripping the hearts out of duck fans. But yeah, that second half, I think, is where the the meat of this game and the fun aspects of this game to talk about. So if you want to pick out just kind of the... Yeah, so, so just it, a recap of how it went down in the end. Just to like, this is what reminds me of like, it was a comeback of a second half, but like, this was such a late comeback that halfway through the fourth quarter, I was really doubting that they were going to do it. I mean, I was tweeting, I was saying, they, you know, the defense stepped up a little bit, but this offense needs to be perfect from here on out for them to do anything. And Luckily, they were pretty close to perfect. So six minutes, 42 seconds left. Oregon gets the ball down 34-22. They score with how much time left? I don't remember what time left. But they go 34-29, Washington State ball, 348. to Get a three-and-out stop. Oregon go down, scores again. Goes up 37-34 with a minute 20 left. And then we know the pick six from Mace Luna. So they scored 21 points in like three three minutes of game time, maybe like 10 minutes of real time, which was incredible. Um, and then, yeah, I think 29 points in total in the fourth quarter. So uh, just really like a miraculous comeback, really. is what I believe. Tremendous comeback. I mean, this was like an NCAA football 14 kind of comeback. You know, I thought I was mm-hmm. on the sticks playing. Shane, what was one thing that really stuck out to you during that comeback um, for the Ducks this, for that game? Well, they were able to finally get out of their own way. I thought the Ducks were the far superior team in the second half, but they really shot themselves in the foot. Uh, the third quarter, their offense just continued to click. They came right out. They had, you know, they scored in I don't know, probably what forty-eight seconds of game time in the third quarter there. And, but then, just as the game was kind of going along, it was this mixture between uh, Cameron Ward, who I think is probably my favorite non-Duck Pac-12 player at this point. Uh, he was absolutely electric. And making some of these absurd plays, whether it was falling down and flipping and finding a receiver like over a player or like scrambling around the backfield. But then it was Oregon just, I mean, the the third and long uh, uh, roughing the passer play, uh, hitting oh the quarterback gosh. in the face, Doors, whether, it was, yeah. whether it was DJ James's uh, or not DJ, DJ Johnson's um, questionable targeting. targeting call, but I guess letter the, the law there that was you know, targeting, but I don't mm-hmm. think that was the play they had in mind when they, you know, wrote the rule that way. And then there was also the, uh, the play, it was like a first down, but, uh, it was right after an incomplete pass. One of the worst passes of the game from Cam Ward, 
was that weird I think it was DJ Johnson again who like bowled over that offensive lineman who was on mm-hmm. one knee. So, I mean, they yeah. were just doing everything possible between these miraculous plays between Washington state and then Oregon, just doing the dumbest thing possible at the time that when it finally got down to it, because the one thing that was consistent about the Oregon team throughout the entire game was the offense was clicking. They were getting down the field. Like it was nothing. And it was just, I mean, to, to have that many yards of offense and that little points going into halftime is pretty incredible thank god that we have camden lewis though i mean years prior two of those might not have gone in and then we have a whole different situation at the end of the game yeah Yeah, i would say that the offense was clicking to a point because that's one thing i wanted to bring up is that was one of my biggest takeaways was the play calling inside the 10 yard line and just the struggles that they had capping off drives was really what they i mean Let's be real. Oregon should not have been in the situation where they needed to come back this many points, you know, in the second half. They should have been up by 10, 14 points in the first half if they could actually just put the ball in the end zone, which, you know, they struggled with. And I know that's something that you're going to see some growing pains with a young team and a new staff. But that's one thing that I I really, you know, while this was a great game, there's still a lot of things that you have to look back on and say, hey, that needs to get a lot better if this team's going to be as good as we think they can. Well, they did something interesting, too, that there was only one pass in the entire game that went into the end zone and it was a touchdown to Cam McCormick on a play action. But that was the kind of the frustrating part, especially going back and rewatching is it's like, like, let's take a shot. Like just, just even, ball. Yeah. even like an easy incomplete route, like, you know, a back shoulder fade or something like to the, to the back pylon that you can kind of throw out of bounds, but just to kind of, get the defense going, playing on their heels a little bit, because that was the thing is they were just completely coming downhill. And every single time it was something to the sideline. And, uh, but we need to give credit to Washington state, their defense played like, I mean, that was a team with their hair on fire. I mean, they, I mean they're the, a top 20 defense. They're yeah. a really good defense. This and is not a, a blind normal Washington state team. Yeah. I think this is a top 25 team. I think this is a team that's yeah. still going to be one of the better teams in the country. I mean, Cameron Ward's out there doing a Russell Wilson impression, going 37 of 48, 375 yards. Good Russell Wilson. Sorry, Seattle Russell God Wilson. Damn it. Um, Can we just say you- Kyler Murray instead <laughs> and not talk about Russell Wilson at all? <laughs> Please. Um, and his stats weren't great, but I'll tell you what, I was really impressed with Nakia Watson. Uh, just he, he really ran the ball hard, really was grinding out some tough yardages, uh, 12 of 12 carries, 36 yards and a <laughs> touchdown, eight catches for 68 yards to go along with that. I'm really, really playing hard for them, but I'm right there with you, Zach, that play calling, um, deep in the deep in Cougar territory just was bad. Everything was lateral and it's where, I mean, I'm going to all, I mean, we, we miss a player like Cyrus Adibalikio in those kinds of situations where we could just line up in that eye and just give it to that big fella and just let him go through. Because, I mean, I love Bucky Irving and I love Noah Winnington, but we, we need – But uh, it's Jordan James bit. who's the – yeah, yeah getting that, the calls there, which yeah. is even more kind of perplexing in times. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I'd like to see some more Sean Dollars in the red zone just to give that pass catching ability. Um, and I'd like to see all. just more Sean Dollars in general. Yeah. yeah, really, really impressive. That catch that he had on fourth and three, that was a hot, hot ball coming in from Bo so that was, um That was Irving. Was that Irving? I could have sworn that, that was, was Irving on that fourth and two in the last drive. Yeah, the that little flare yeah, that was to Irving. the right hand side. That was Irving. Oh wow! Yep, okay, because well, they converted he the. Up, he lined up as a receiver out on the left side. Yeah. Yeah, great. They converted hands. the fourth down with Sean Dollars in the first half. Earlier. The, 
But before he threw the pick, that's six. where the pick six came because yeah. they ran the same exact same play, play again twice. twice. Yeah, and then that's they what it was. The second time, so I was conflating mm-hmm. the two plays. No, thank you guys for for holding me accountable there. But yeah, I'd love to see more Sean Dollars. That would be a lovely thing. More two back sets, maybe even you know deep in there. I know they like their big tight ends and all for Terrence Ferguson getting as many touches as he can down there. But maybe some more two back sets just to give a little bit more variability. Go ahead, Zach. So one slight positive I might take away from all of this, maybe Kenning Dillingham is taking his name out of the running for the Arizona State head coaching job <laughs> with this inside the 10-yard line play calling. I don't know. Just a thought. If you're, or maybe he's a little distracted. wanting a silver lining. Yeah, you know. Yeah, maybe he's maybe. saving all of his real tricks for when he, you know, he takes over the reins there. Yeah. Yeah. You got to watch out for those assistant coaches. Arizona State knows all too well about that. That's crazy. I can't believe they turned. That was not, that's a crazy story. Um, Okay. Let's, let's see. Let's go with one thing we learned from this game. And I'll go first. Um, I think we learned we have a coaching staff that can adapt and a coaching staff that can get better in game and make in game adjustments to, to improve uh, players' positions to succeed. And that was really impressive in the second half. And I think that's probably my biggest takeaway. The biggest thing that I learned was just this coaching staff not only had the, the will to keep this team positive and to keep this team playing hard through really tough circumstances and a really difficult place to play up there in Pullman, but they were also flexible enough to make some adjustments and to just make this team better, just made this team better on a really important Saturday. So Shane, let's go to you next. What was, what was your biggest, um, what's your biggest takeaway? What's the thing you learned from this game here against Washington state? I would have to go with the fact that we now have a clear wide receiver one. Uh, Mm -hmm. something that we kind of talked about coming into the season, which guy was really going to emerge. And over the last two weeks, Troy Franklin, I mean, some of the the routes that he was running and some of the catches he made in traffic, along with even breaking some tackles to get some first downs in that game. uh, I think he catapults into the potentially the greatest wide receiver in Oregon history because the bar is that low that that game is up there (laughs) (laughs) as one of the best performances we've ever seen here. Because uh, I mean, the running backs—it's you know—they've been as consistent as any any group on this team. I feel like this year, but yeah, I think with with what Troy <clears throat> was able to do even early in that game. I mean, that catch late is going to be remembered, and that's going to be probably one of the biggest highlights of his career here at Oregon. But he was putting in that work all day, and even blocking on the outside too. All these receivers are asked to do a lot in the run game as well. So, yeah, Troy Frank. I mean, and that's to say not to take away from Dante Thornton, some of these other guys who also had big catches. Uh, Bucky Irving had an amazing catch on a, on a fourth down, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where Bo Nix really showed that he trusted him because he threw it into some tight coverage. Uh, luckily yeah. whoever was on him didn't really get his head around in time, but yeah, that, and yeah, Bo Nix is maybe a little bit closer to flock pot hall of fame consideration. Oh, no, don't start with that. Troy yeah. Clifford Franklin, five catches, 137 yards for a touchdown. Just a yeah, really big day. Really big day. Chase Coda also there with seven catches, 84 yards. Uh, Dante Thornton with just the one grab, but for 42 yards. But Zach, would, as you look back on this game, what's going to be the thing that you, you learned? What's going to be the thing you take away? Yeah. So there's a lot. I have a lot that I want to say, and I'm trying to figure out which to say first. First, so my biggest takeaway was going to be the same one that you said, J.D. I think that we learned so much about this coaching staff. And what I know this is catnip for Oregon fans, and and they freaking love this, but just the comparison of what Dan Lanning and the Ducks did compared to what Mario Cristobal and 
the Miami Hurricanes mm. did, mm. losing to Middle Tennessee. Mm. And it's like, if Crystal Ball was still the coach at Oregon, I have no confidence that they would have come back and won that game. But and we kind of saw that same thing bear out with Miami, where they fell down early and they just kind of never got back into it. So I just thought that was a really interesting dichotomy that we saw on Saturday, where like these two, you know, ships kind of passing in the night, like which, you know, which path are you going to choose? And we saw that one with Dale, and I think a lot of Oregon fans are pretty happy about it. But uh, my mate, sorry, do you want to touch on that, Shane? Uh, I did. The first time I noticed the score that Miami was losing that game was when Bo Nix threw the pick six. Was when, the, when they were on the replay, I was like, I looked down the bar and I saw they were down. I was like, but Miami's losing the middle. Season. <laughs> it was like the perfect yeah. timing. The silverest yeah. of linings. <laughs> so, oh, so my actual biggest takeaway is um, kind of what Shane touched on a little bit too. It's just Bo Nix, man. He's a, he's a real guy. I know I came into this game saying like, Hey, I want to see if, if Nick's can lead Oregon to a win when he has to be the guy, when he's throwing the ball 30 to 35 times and he has to, you know, really lead this offense. And he, I mean, 44 pass attempts, 428 yards, three touchdowns. Yeah. The pick is terrible. And you, I'm, that's okay. You know, we, we knew that was part of the package coming in. I didn't know any of this other stuff that we were going to get was part of the the package that Nick's was going to bring. So um, I'm just, I'm really impressed with him. He's, he's earned a lot of respect in my book. And I think that people around the country are starting to see the same thing as well. I know that Auburn fans are really, you know, really frustrated that this is the guy that they lost now, now that they see him behind a good offensive line, they see him succeeding with the ducks. I'm sure they're pretty upset about it. So was, yeah, that was my biggest takeaway. He's playing like the adult version of the Auburn Bo Nix, which I mean, for what this age bracket is for these people and the fact that he just got married and he moved to this new town. Apparently he's, I think the commentator said he was living with his mom over here though, which, uh, oh, can Mama's we touch boy. on something real quick? The commentators Mama's that boy. game were uh, almost oh, as bad God. as the referees. They were, they were terrible. terrible. Absolutely it terrible. Was, they were saying the wrong names and just like stumbling all over stuff. They it's said very pro Washington State. They said uh, points per possession like seven thousand times. It was insane. They were that was horrendous. Uh, I want to touch on a few things that you brought up there, Zach. Uh, shout out to Bo Nix's six carries for thirty yards. Not an impressive stat, but they were big totes. They mm-hmm. were big. They were big like opportunities. Four- Four first downs running the ball. Um, shout out to Jordan James with one of the weirdest stat lines for three carries, zero yards, and a touchdown. So good, good for him. <laughs> yeah. uh, and also uh, shout out to uh, Robbie Anderson for getting his first start down there at Auburn. Robbie Ashford. Robbie Ashford. Shit. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Robbie Ashford. Do Robbie Anderson's a game? very uh, underproductive wide receiver on my face. Yeah. He's struggling right now for the Carolina <laughs> Panthers. Did you guys watch any of that Auburn game, though? Did you guys catch any of that? A little bit. A little bit. I was watching quite a bit of it in. He looked okay when given the opportunity to play, but boy, the rest of that team is bad. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it was very like backyard goodness. football esque, though. Oh my gosh, yeah. And he was making some things happen. It made me think a little bit, like, oh, man, that would have been. Yeah. But anyway, uh, we move forward. So, is there anything else that you guys want to touch on? Um, what we haven't talked really at all about the defense, and I do want to shout out Bennett Williams for making some big plays. Yeah, um, being being that guy, being that true safety. Um, DJ Johnson was an absolute knucklehead out there, really made some, some poor plays, but also came up with two big sacks. So I think you kind of take the good with the bad there. Yeah, go ahead, Zach. So we kind of saw one of the old, I mean, 
the age-old problems for Oregon and really one of the main problems this year popped back up and just missed tackling. Uh, I looked back at the PFS stats. Oregon had 20 missed tackles against Georgia in week one. They only had nine against, like, combined against Eastern Washington BYU. So they, they kind of seemed like they were getting that under control. They had 18 again against Washington mm. State. And really what I saw is that's when, when teams attack the perimeter and they attack the flats, the Ducks struggled to get their linebackers out there and their cornerbacks are really struggling to bring these guys down. So um, that's definitely a glaring issue with this defense so far, something they really need to get under control if they're going to have a lot of success this year. But uh, I know that was one of the more frustrating things that I saw on Saturday is just, man, they can't, they got so many hands on guys that they just couldn't bring them down. And a lot of that's because, you know, a lot of it was Cameron Ward, who's an incredible player, very elusive, but you know, it's, it's definitely something that keeps popping up this year. There was a lot of like broken plays too, that were turning mm-hmm. into kind of, I mean, there was that one where uh, Ward threw it back to the running back after like kind of a big scramble. And then he broke two tackles there. And I think that was on like a third and long situation, which was kind of a heartbreaker, but it is tough when your DBs are asked to be doing that much down the field. And then all of a sudden they're coming back to the ball. I did think that the defense was better in coverage when Jeff Bassett was on the field uh, playing linebacker. Uh, yes. We didn't see a ton of Justin flow on the field. He did get a couple big plays there, but uh, he was off the field more than I, than I thought. And it's a, he's having an interesting start to the year so far. If he well, doesn't, Good. If he doesn't go pro in the NFL, I think he has a future for him in the WWE, though. So he does have a <laughs> solid backup. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. I, I thought that this was probably the first decent game we saw stat-wise from Noah and Justin. I mean, Noah finished with nine total tackles. Flo finished with seven. Noah had a sack for 12 yards late in the game, too. So, um, you know, we I think fans pay a lot of attention to stats more than they should. Um, I'll include myself in that too. I mean, it's, it's one of the best swings you can use when looking back at a game, but um, so these guys, they're, they're better than their stats show this year, but this is the first time we really saw them actually put up some numbers on the score sheet. No, not wrong. Not wrong. And I think, you know, Shane, or I think you brought it up there, the, the struggling of the, the outside. I mean, I like Christian Gonzalez a lot. I like what I've seen from him. I like the way Triquez Triquez Bridges is playing. Should be Triquezy. It really should be Triquezy. <laughs> um, but they don't tackle well. They oh. they don't. They're not guys that want to go up there and tackle. And again, that's where I give a lot of credit to um, you know those Washington State running backs because again they were they were running tough yards. You know, Nakia mm-hmm. Watson was really running for some tough yards and. Um, was not good to be denied. And Cameron Ward, like you said, I mean, elusive is, is, uh, is putting it kindly. I mean, my goodness, he was a magician out there at times and uh, maybe have a, has a future to play on Sundays. I was really, really impressed Flea, with what I saw. Flea flicker, the first play of the game. And then late in the that. second half when they did like the, like the kind of like the fake toss. Yeah. The that fake, was nice. Yeah, jet that, was that was yeah. sick. Yeah. That was fun. Uh, I, Cougars are a fun team, man. I'm gonna like be rooting for them the rest of the season. Yeah, you know, that, I felt that was, very that was similar. Really really. That was really yeah, rough. But I know this is a separate conversation. The Pac-12 is just kind of fun. I mean, I, good. I enjoyed yeah. watching that USC Oregon State game. Yeah, I was that was for fun. Oregon State. Yep. It's like this is a fun game to watch. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm you know we've been pretty down on the Pac-12, rightfully so, in the past few years, and it's like I really enjoyed this slate of games. And I'm excited. There's some really good games. We'll get into it with Duck Jenner at corner later, but there's some really good games coming up this weekend in the next couple of weeks. Shit. Washington's good. 
USC is yeah. good. Wazoo is good. Utah yeah. is good. Oregon State's Oregon State's Decent, solid at the very least. Yeah, yeah, Oregon State's very solid, and that's half the conference. Yeah, but then the yeah. rest of the conference is pretty bad. Yeah, but look yeah. at the Big Ten. I mean, <laughs> yeah. fucking their bottom teams suck ass too. That's true. That's that's like very you true. see what you see Wisconsin play Ohio State. I was like, oh man, I was thinking about taking yeah. that Wisconsin seventeen points, and they beat them by like a hundred. Yeah, they crushed them absolutely. But if, if you look them. at the fact that the Pac twelve has three teams, I think it's three teams ranked inside the top twenty five, and another two that very well could be if Should it weren't be. for some pretty strong East Coast bias. I believe. I think if Oregon State and Washington State were in the Big Ten or in the SEC. They they'd be ranked right now, so yeah, uh, pretty impressive. It is as much as I want to put those two teams in. I was looking at it, and it's kind of hard to pull two teams out that just haven't fucked up yet. I mean, there's a couple like there's your A and M's and like stuff that that it fell all the way down to the bottom of the rankings, but it's really hard. They're to still A and M. Yeah, you know what I mean. And then it's like yeah. then there's like the rest of them are like undefeateds basically, who are just kind of like frozen in their spot. So. I mean, yeah. I I think that they're right on the outside looking in, and as soon as teams start losing, we'll get those those teams in as long as nothing bad happens. And I mean, I think people look at this Washington State loss as a good thing in their long run for the season. The fact that they were able to take Oregon kind of to the brink there. Absolutely, and Kansas should be ranked. Let's let's get that out there too. Kansas yeah, football should agree. definitely be ranked. Uh, it's a really fun story. Football school. Football school, baby. Football school. Apparently, uh, Kentucky is a football school now, but don't yeah. tell that to John Calipari because it really pisses him off. It's really fun. They have a really good they ranked like number seven. Yeah, they're yeah. really good. Yeah, they're really yeah. good. Yeah. Calipari <laughs> yeah. got all butthurt. Dude, like old coaches beefing on Twitter is one of my favorite oh, things so that great. ever happens. Well, and the athletic director basically had to come back from vacation and tell the two coaches, hey, shut the fuck up. Like you guys are part <laughs> yeah. of the same <laughs> school here. <laughs> yeah, like, I can't believe I have to this. tell you guys wow. this. Oh, it was great. Oh, it was yeah. probably yeah. Any of that. three That's or four great. weeks ago. I yeah, it was a while ago. Yeah, as we're yeah. done recording. That's great. It was it was before the season started, I think. Yeah, like I right first before. heard about it on the Rosillo podcast. He started touching on it, and then I did a little Twitter, a little internet deep dive on it, and it was a good, it was a good cackle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Worth your time. Okay. Good cackle. Yep. And uh, poor Rich Brooks didn't get to see the end of this comeback. Apparently, had to jump on a flight there right at the end of this game. I follow him on Twitter. You know, no big deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, he uh, <laughs> bringing up I the Kentucky connection also. Adult beverages in the press box. There it looks like he was having a good time. All. <laughs> red red faced all right well um a new fun tradition that we are doing here on the flock pod uh is uh, a uniform unveil so i have not seen the uniforms yet uh zach and shane i believe have both seen them and i'm reading their faces a little bit right now i think zach really likes them i'm on twitter Uh, too much to to not see them it's just uh, yeah that's valid that's valid all right let's uh i'm gonna go to my favorite website here I think these are the uniforms of the year so far. I would agree. Ducks wire. Low bar to cut. It's a clear so far, though. Ducks unveil. Eh, Yeah. Oh, wait. That's the old unis. Let's go back to. The first couple of weeks were a little bit more. Like with the face mask thing was cool. But last couple of weeks were a little. Last two weeks were, yeah. Mundane. I mean, I liked them, but I like these a lot. I mean, this is the classic yeah. green and yellow combo, the green and yellow helmet, the green. I like that. Yeah. These the are going to look are... so good at night in the lights at Otson. And, no, at and it's going to it's gonna be really good at keeping us awake because it's going to be late and we're going to at least have something not like these boring, dark 
green uniforms. It's like, okay, no, these are actually flashy. So something pretty to look at. And uh, Noah Sewell, great choice as the, yep. uh, the athlete to uh, looking quite, quite fly. I love those gloves too, actually with the, yeah, I was going to say the gloves. Mm-hmm. It is weird. The one like picture of Noah Sewell in like the cage thing. I thought was odd. That was <laughs> yeah. strange choice. Yeah. The props surrounded by Nike boxes this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, but yeah, they will be wearing those uniforms against the Stanford Cardinals Saturday night Cardinal? at 8 p.m. Nice late kickoff. I believe there's going to be a lot of mad duck fans about that because they always get mad about having to drive back to Portland late at night. And I know Zach's probably going to be working deep into the morning because of uh, that late kickoff there. So it's funny. Um, Mac actually told me, she's like, yeah, maybe you don't go to this one in person. It's a little bit late and we've got an infant child that you will be helping me put to bed. So I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm okay with that. I'll watch the last half at 1am from the comfort of my home instead of being out in the cold. That's yeah. probably a good call. That's probably a good call. Yeah. I imagine there's going to be some tickets flying around for this one, but yeah. the Cardinal coming off a tough loss up there in Seattle, 42, 22 against the 15th ranked Washington Huskies. Um, I kind of want to do the same thing we've done the last few weeks. I like this kind of format where we just kind of throw it to you here, Zach, and you give us um, a couple of players from your five Stanford Cardinal that we need to know. Um, the first player that kind of sticks out to me, I mean, Casey Filkins, that running back that they've got, um, tough kid. But I'm curious to hear a couple more of that you've got over there, Zach. Well, also really important to note that Stanford is pretty banged up at the moment. Uh, it just got announced, I think, yesterday, maybe today, that the running back EJ Smith is out for the season with an undisclosed injury. Uh, I believe both of their starting tackles, both left tackle and right tackle, are questionable to play. Um, so they're pretty banged up at the moment. Um, I think Oregon, not that Oregon needs to catch them at a good time because I think Oregon is a, a far superior team talent-wise and I don't think should have too much of an issue putting them away on Saturday. But all things being equal, Oregon's catching them at a good time where they're they're struggling to stay completely healthy and there's going to be a lot of backups out there, I believe, on Saturday. So, um, But yeah, go ahead, JD. I was just going to say Pac-12 after dark. I don't care what the team is coming yeah. in. I'm, I'm yeah. not... I'm usually wanting to catch a team, you know, at their highest point and healthy and, you know, at their best, but I'm kind of okay with it, kind of especially yeah, the, the especially problem Stanford. that the Cardinal has caused yeah. over the past couple yeah, of years. We'll yeah, we'll get into that too with the Stanford. I've got some, uh, some history for you oh, guys that's, yeah. that I mean, I've been working on. So Cardinal and Cougars back to back. That's uh, slaying two funky demons here for the Ducks. But yeah, continue, Zach. Go ahead. So, I mean, just off the top, the two guys that I'm most worried about are Tanner McKee, the quarterback who is sneaky, like pretty good. I've I followed the, uh, the pro football focus, like quarterback rankings in the PAC 12, and they've consistently had him at number one all season until this past week where they put Washington's Michael Penix at number one and McKee's number two in the conference. So, I mean, he's a really, I've seen, he's got like some pro prospects too. He's probably going to get drafted, be like a, you know, fourth, fifth round player uh, in the next couple of years in the NFL draft. So really solid thrower, a nice kind of game manager quarterback. And then the receiver, Michael Wilson is a really good, deep threat player. Um, He's got, I think that's this year. Yeah. He's got 13 receptions for 288 yards and four touchdowns already this year, which is averaging 96 yards per game. I mean, a really good offensive offensive threat. So, um, you know, you never like to hear that when we've got a secondary that's kind of been struggling a little bit, but it's going to be a good test for him. So 
And I, I know they're probably going to be funneling the ball to him a little bit more than they would have had uh, unless EJ, EJ Smith was playing. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a good one. This is something I haven't paid much attention to. Have they had Christian Gonzalez playing exclusively on one side of the field this year? Has he been no, following? They're, they're kind of, that was actually a question that Lane was asked on Monday. They're really switching up how they do it. Sometimes he plays left corner or right corner. Sometimes he plays, you know, boundary corner rather than field corner. And Lane's explanation was that, you know, every team attacks a defense differently. I mean, most college teams throw to the boundary most of the time because throwing to the field is a lot further of throw. So, uh, you know, there's not a, a simple answer that, yes, he's staying on one side or he's, he's shadowing the main receiver. But, um, you know, I, I don't know exactly how they're going to play Stanford. It would make sense for him to shadow Wilson because, you know, he's their probably their best offensive player. But uh, I'm not sure exactly what they're going to do. That'd be an interesting thing to track. Let's uh, I'll try to pay attention to that and see what they decide to do there, because it does seem like a, a, a good opportunity for them to, to give Christian Gonzalez that chance to really take Michael Wilson out of the game. Uh, Shane, what's one thing you're looking forward to as, as the Cardinal come in here to Austin on Saturday night? Um, well, I mean, I, a to see, if, uh, Cardwell is coming back and if he's going to be reintegrate himself into the rotation with the running backs, not that the, what they have going on right now is a broken system with, you know, mostly, um, you know, the, the two backs that we're seeing exclusively, but also, uh, you know, as we were talking about Christian Gonzalez, try Chris Bridges, uh, it's been like a hot and cold player. And if he's going to be somebody that they pick on, I mean, we've kind of sounded like a broken record every time it's like, where are we going into this next game? What is like the position group we're going to watch? And it's like, well, is the secondary going to look, you know, good. I mean, and at times too, in the game against uh, Washington state, they were part of the reason why Cameron Ward was scrambling or scrambling around was the secondary was playing pretty good coverage downfield, but then other times, especially when they get into the shorter passing attack, what, those corners are able to do from sideline to sideline there. But I mean, I want to look at him specifically because it seems like that is kind of where team's focus is going is kind of away from Christian Gonzalez at times. He is able to play more of like that physical bump and run coverage. I do like Bridges size. And I mean, he did have a, a interception that I would have bet my entire life savings was an incomplete pass, but whatever, (laughs) you never know. The (laughs) officiating was wild in that game uh yeah we didn't even talk about that yeah yeah giving plays back and all that stuff (laughs) it's just insane some of the (laughs) explanations from that head referee too i was like bro you gotta say it with your chest man you're like kind of like half-assing this stuff and i'm like if you're gonna be uh, wrong just be wrong yeah but like be wrong wrong. confidently yeah that's like they teach you that when you're coaching like little kids they're like dude even if you know you're wrong like stick to your guns and they're like i guess it was fucking targeting like so but i mean so i do want to see you know what bridge is able to do if he's gonna be able to step up and actually i just don't want to hear his name that's kind of like the the benchmark that i want to hear from him is like is he's able to just kind of take away one player not really you know I don't want to see him be the main tackler because, uh, I mean, they are kind of going to the outside and they're forcing these corners to make plays. But I also do want to see the linebackers able to cover the space and really rack up those numbers and not put as much on the corners as well. So if we could just not hear trick wheezy bridges for the entire game, I think that would be a big win. Can I ask you guys a quick question? It's just a little bit of a, a side note, but who do you guys think is the best player on this defense so far? I have an answer, but I'm curious if you guys think the same thing. I oddly enough, I think it's Christian Gonzalez because I think he's asked to do 
as much as anybody. I don't think it's Noah Sewell. I think he's been kind of been exposed mm-hmm. in coverage a little bit this year, and he's not rushing the passer quite as effectively as he was last year. Enough. Yeah. Justin Flo, I think, in my opinion, has been a little bit of a disappointment. I would never say that to his face because I'm terrified of him. <laughs> I do. I want to say Jeff Passa because he's my boy. And I think that he's just uh, I think he he's able to do so much. I love the versatility, but I would, I'd go with Christian Gonzalez. I'm going to go Bennett Williams, especially after this I was going to say, game. I think you're, I almost think you're overlooking him a little bit, Shane. Bennett yeah. Williams is my answer too. I, yeah, I was I mean, really impressed. He's, he's playing true safety. I mean, he literally saved a couple plays in that game and has really, go ahead. That tip pass, he was like three steps late. That was like the weird thing about that is I don't think that ball should have ever been thrown there. Mm-hmm. I thought that he got locked up and he was watching what was happening down there. And then he was able to make a miraculous play. But I think even if he didn't make that play, there was still a chance that was going to be an incomplete pass anyways because they did have help over the top. It was amazing, but it was almost like that outfielder who gets himself out of position at first and doesn't take that first step and then has to make the diving catch. Mm-hmm. Don't know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that Bennett, I mean, I look at the snap counts like each week. He's playing 99 to 100% of the snaps. He's by far the best tackler on the team. I and mean, we've talked about missed tackles. The way he gets open field tackles just continues to impress me week in and week out. I mean, that kid brings them down in the open field. And I just think he's a he's a really good leader. He's been very solid in coverage. Has he been perfect? No. There's obviously things for him to work on. But uh, through, what, four weeks, I think I've just been – I've been the most impressed by Bennett because I think we were all focused on Christian Gonzalez, Sewell, Flo, Dorless. Uh, DJ Johnson and it's like Bennett Williams has been the guy that I think is the most consistently at the top of his game so far this year. Dorless, I think is having a better season than his stats would reflect. I agree. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. agree. And I, what I love about Bennett, he's, he's got that gator tackle down. He wraps and then he twists you up. He reminds me of one of those old Seahawk DBs when they get their hands on you, they don't let go of you in that kind of a way. And um, just really, really impressive, really, really he, impressive with what he's he, been able to do. Definitely leads the team in like touchdown saving tackles too. Like <laughs> it's it's incredible. I mean, I mean he plays safety, so a lot of times he's the last line of defense there. But there's so many times like, oh, he's gone, and then Bennett Williams is just like hitting like underneath there. And like a lot of those like undercutting, decleating tackles, especially in that Washington State game, which got like oddly physical. Very chippy. <laughs> yeah. Very, very chippy there at the end. Very, very chippy. Um, all right. Any other things for the Stanford yeah. Cardinal? We kind of jumped back there to talk about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, it's hard yeah, it to talk it. about the players. Yeah, it deserves versus, it. You know, yeah, absolutely. They, absolutely. But, yeah, that's some, a good uh, question. Yeah, go ahead, Zach. I've got some Stanford stuff for you guys. So I was working on, I've got this piece going up tomorrow on Duckswire um, about just like we've talked about a lot, just the history between these two teams and how oh this rivalry, I think, is maybe the best rivalry in the Pac-12. I mean, if you're talking about Oregon's rivals, I know Washington – Oregon State, there's some some bad blood there, but this Stanford team has given, I mean, they've clashed with the Ducks a lot. So I just went back and I found like the most, the biggest games over the past decade and a half. And I just wanted to like kind of read them off to you, just stoke some of that fire again. 2009, Stanford beats number eight, Oregon, 51 42. 2010, number four, Oregon beats number nine, Stanford. Uh, 2011, number seven, Oregon beats number four, Stanford. 2012, number one, Oregon loses number 14, Stanford in overtime. 2013, number three, Oregon loses number five, Stanford. 
2014 blowout, 2015 Vernon Adams led Oregon beats number seven Stanford. Um, and then we all know what happened last year. So, so, so this rivalry has just like been the biggest disservice to the conference because yes, basically every time one team's <laughs> about to go to the natty, they lose to the other. It's a great yes, point. I had it. Great point. Keep talking. There's one stat in here that like blew my mind. Cause we were, we, we were discussing rivalries like on a pod a couple of years ago. And I was saying that like, it was that. The, the best Oregon years I felt like were derailed by David Shaw and like whatever white running back they had or whatever brainiac quarterback they had. And it was always just this team that was just built to beat Oregon because they were more of like a trench winning team and they would just physically dominate Oregon in those wins. I mean, wasn't like Toby Gerhardt running for like 296 yeah. yards or something like that? Yeah, and like four touchdowns, I think. And it was yeah, like three yards at a time. Yeah, listen to this stat. So a total of nine times since 2007, this rivalry has been between ranked teams. Eight of those times came when one of the teams was ranked inside of the top 10. Four of those eight times, the lower seeded, the lower ranked team won. It's just like, that's that's insane. This is yeah. such a good rivalry and they're always such good teams. And it's so much is always at stake when these two teams play. I know this year, last year, it's kind of been one-sided, but we saw that went last year. So this is mm-hmm. by no means a team that you can sleep on. I remember even being a little bit frustrated. I can't remember what year it was, but it might have been that year that the Vernon Adams team beat Stanford, where I was like, damn it. Like, I was almost disappointed that Oregon won just because I wanted the Pac-12 team. It was a year when Oregon really didn't have a chance to do anything meaningful in the postseason that's when they were number seven yeah and it was like the one team that actually had a chance that was kind of getting like buzz like oh could they play with sec schools or whatever <laughs> and they lose to oregon it was like you fucking kidding me like we're <laughs> never ever gonna get there we can never get this monkey off of our back by getting into the postseason and beating a big 10 or an sec school well, well so that's like- the that's the year where Stanford scored with 10 seconds remaining and Oregon stopped their two point conversion to win that game. That's kind of what even made that hurt more from a Pac-12 standpoint. Crazy, Just absolutely epic. But that's also kind of where Utah has stepped up the last three or four years here to be that rival against the Ducks and kind of playing in a similar way. You know, I was going to say nose. same uniforms kind of. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of similarities there for sure. Yeah. A lot of similarities. Um, all right. I think, I think we have uh, previewed this Cardinal game sufficiently. We will get to our picks in our next segment coming up uh, here to end the podcast with Duck Jenner Corner. But first, we actually have some recruiting news. There's, there's some stuff going on out there in, uh, in the old uh, Twitter sphere and some, some rumors flying about. So, uh, Mr. Zachary Neal, could you give us a little rundown on some uh, recruiting? So I'm going to start with the lesser of the two stories. It's not a, it's not a small story by any means, but uh, five-star small forward Andre Stoyakovic, son of NBA legend Pejo Stoyakovic, cut his uh, list down to four teams today, included Oregon in that. He was in Eugene for the BYU game. Uh, there were some videos of him and his dad, Pejo, like putting up some shots in Matthew Knight Arena, which was, you know, that's just always fun to see. Um, but the bigger story is, so it came out this week that four-star Oregon recruit Dante Dowdle, um, a running back, he's taking a visit to Ole Miss uh, this coming weekend for their game against Kentucky. He's like the number four player in Mississippi, the number 19 running back, I think, in the nation. Um, a lot of people were being like, hey, what's going on? Is he like considering Ole Miss? 
Uh, we put a story out about it. I had uh, some people reach out to me and say like, hey, he's not, he's 100% locked in on the Ducks. So um, I think if a lot of Oregon fans see that he's going there, I mean, you always, that's cause for concern. You don't want your commits going to other schools, but I can report that, no, he's not looking there. He's going with some friends um, just to kind of, I was told he wants to spend as much time with his friends as he can before he comes to Eugene in January. So um, I think that we should probably quiet those alarms that you had when reading the initial report. Um, all good on that front. Yeah, something important to remember when talking about recruiting. They're fucking high school kids. Yeah, and they're seriously. just hanging out with their friends and talking to girls and stuff. Well, and I'll tell you what. The, I mean, I've coached one kid um, in hoops that had the chance to like go on these visits and stuff like that. And I literally told him, I was like, you go on every possible visit you can. Even if you've already committed, you go see as many things as you can, get as many experiences as you can. Your, your mind might change. You never know. But you go out there and you see as many schools as possible and uh, and just take use this opportunity, you know, use this opportunity to be uh, absolutely everything it can be for you. So um, that's that's a great story. Um, again, great to hear that he's still committed to the Ducks. But I like that Stoya, that Stoyakovic story is really interesting because, boy, you add that kind of a shooter to the squad they've already got. So you're just assuming he's a good shooter. I know. I mean, I looked at his. I, I mean, looked at his is. stats. I watched the video. I mean, the I mean how could he not be? Because you're telling me he's. Yeah. Wait, you're telling me he's not like a dunker from the three a bruiser. spot. Like, <laughs> well, and it just this just goes back to the conversation we've had numerous times on this podcast. Like Dana going after what Andre and also Bronny and how many months ago were we saying is Dana washed is Dana and he's going to retire going here just, we need and then to do he's the just shirts. going after NBA oh legends Ken and yeah. just he's he's started up in the recruiting world once again and it's just classic Dana I love it well Not we really. also like the those COVID years man like we were all like you know why isn't recruiting happening like when, when the whole world is like flipped upside down and then we like as soon as it starts to become like normal again just slightly you know what I mean like oh in-person games and we're like why isn't it all back to normal? What's wrong? What's going on? What, what's, what's going on? Life would be better if everyone had a little bit more patience. <laughs> I will always true. say it. In Dana, we trust. All right. Let's get to the end. Let's get to the fun part of the podcast. Shay, give us our Duck Generate Corner uh, standings. And then if you'd be so kind, please take over hosting duties and uh, let's let's have some fun. All right, so last week, you guys actually tied at a nice, cool six and six, which in the gambling world, 50% is still nothing to, nothing to wag a finger at. Uh, I was a little bit under. I went five and seven, bringing my total to 21 and 22, smidge under 500. Justin is 20 and 23, chance to get back to 500 this week, pretty good chance. Okay. Right, and then Zach right. fucking should live in Las Vegas, 26 and 17. Um, wow. <laughs> I know, dude. Like every week, betting. I'm just like, oh, maybe I should actually start like betting the shit Zach's picking. <laughs> um, like I'm getting like this insider info and just not using it. Um, it's not inside though; it's just kind of off the dome. Well, <laughs> I'm uh, shit. I mean, I talk to this guy who's 26 and 17 every week in gambling, and I'm not like betting the game. So <laughs> I'm giving you these picks for free, man. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So if you're listening out there, get your book ready. Um, First game of the week. Interesting line I felt here, and I will preface this by I am already financially invested in this game. Um, Washington, minus three on the road 
in Los Angeles at UCLA with an under over of 65 points. Only three. That's what I said. I'm hammering Washington. Yeah. Hammer. I I am just, this is a different conversation. I am just shocked at how, like, do people just not see UCLA for who they are? It's so weird. The worst undefeated team I've ever seen in my life. It's so weird. Whenever I watch them play, they're just struggling to get down the field. I thought they were going to lose to fucking uh, Bowling Green, Alabama. Yeah, whatever. Seven, which one? Take your yeah, Alabama, bullshit yeah. team they were playing. And then, and then what, Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, who have they played? Yeah, and then Nobody. Colorado was like scoring points, too. And like, yeah. we can get to Colorado in a little bit, too. <clears throat> yeah. No, we don't need to. <laughs> three, though. it's like that's like a that's like a what is vegas no kind of i know number. that's the only thing that made me nervous but i went ahead and just hammered it anyways i was over under again in the under 65 i think 65 yeah 65 um man that is that's a weird my sighty senses are score. tingling so hard um i'm gonna i'm i'm mm, Okay, yeah, no, stay safe. Washington in the under. <laughs> Wash. I really want to pick UCLA because I just feel like the man, they know something. And every year there are those weird games in the Pac-12 where teams get upset, especially on the road. And maybe they maybe UW really enjoys LA. Maybe there's something going on there. Is LA like the new Miami in the NBA where you got like the Miami <laughs> flu? Um, I don't know, but yeah, that's a that's a mm, spidey sense is tingling there. Chip Kelly breaks out a different notebook against Washington. Um, yeah, I went <laughs> I went with you guys on this one. So uh for all the reasons you already said. So yeah. we'll just move on here. This one is also pretty interesting. Oregon State is on the road getting 10 and a half points at Utah with an under over of 54 and a half. 10 and a half. Mm-hmm. That's a lot me, of points. Give me Oregon State. I might sprinkle a little bit on the Oregon State money line here. I think yeah. they can. This is Utah's the type of team that, you know, that defense, they can stop them. I think I've, I'm going to take the under too. I think Oregon State in the under because I think this is going to be a good game. I would not be shocked if Oregon State wins this game. I feel really good about my picks this week because I'm in line with Zach. I'm going Oregon State. And I'm also <laughs> there going we go. It's just that that number is too big. Uh, I huge. feel like Oregon State's going to have even a bigger chip on their shoulder now after playing as hard and as well as they did against the Trojans and coming up short. Um, I'm I yeah I like I like the Beavers there and I like the under just because it's going to be a slobber knocker. It's going to be a Big Ten you know kind of game. What was the line uh, against USC last week for Oregon State? Plus Do you seven. remember, Shane? What was it? Seven. Seven. Okay. Yeah. And they covered, correct? Yep. Okay. Um, yeah, I. this is really exciting podcasting here. I went with you guys on that one, too. Um, <laughs> I like Oregon State. I. This is a game that I wouldn't bet, though, just because I think both these teams are really frisky, and they both are good at a lot of the same things. Oregon State scored a lot more points than we're used to them seeing, but I still think at their core, they're kind of a knockdown drag it out team. And that is Utah to a T. So that for that reason, I'm also going to go with the under that being said, we'll probably see a big explosion of points. So we're all going to look really smart or really dumb here coming next week. Uh, Third game on the docket is Cal getting four points up at Pullman against Washington state under over a 53 and a half. I'm going to pick first just so it doesn't look like I'm copying Zach. I'm taking the Cougars and give me that over. I'm going to copy JD. <laughs> this is great <laughs> podcasting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, Cal's better than they've been in past years, but I, I mean, I'm still just, we've all talked 
for the past 30 minutes about how impressed we are with this Washington State team. And I think that they can definitely do some with Cal at home and only four points. Yeah, I think that could easily be seven and a half, and I still might take Washington State. Seriously, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that line is a little bit low. I think it's the the fact that that quarterback, Cameron Ward, is a transfer from, like, bumfuck nowhere college, but I, I don't think that really matters anymore. Kurt Ward. Yeah, you <laughs> Possible hangover, maybe? Possible hangover. Yeah, getting banged up from playing mm-hmm. a tough one against Oregon. Sometimes coming off those de- demoralizing losses, you have a complete flat game the next yeah, one up. Did you guys hear the commentator say he never threw a pass in high school? Yeah. How bizarre yeah, is that shit? some, like, wing T offense, right? Uh-huh. It's just weird. Yeah, it's insane. Um, I also was Washington State there. Like I said, I'm a big fan, fan of Cameron Ward and watching that team play last week. I am going to zag a little bit from you guys and go with the under. Uh, I think 53 and a half points from Justin Wilcox team being in the mix. I think it could I think it could hit under uh, oh, fighting. Exactly. Yeah. So now we get to everybody's favorite team to gamble with because they're always getting weird spreads. Also, but I'll note this is not the team getting the most points this week. Colorado is getting 17 and a half on the road at Arizona with an because under they're playing over. Arizona <laughs> <laughs> with an under over of 57 and a half. Um, give me give me Zona and give me the under. Just because I don't think I'll do this again for the rest of the year. I don't think I will ever say these words again this year. Give me Colorado. Do it. Yeah. And give me the other. <laughs> I don't care if I'm wrong. I just want to say that at least once this season. I mean, Colorado was able to get some things going against UCLA. That was probably the most frisky they've looked so far this year. So maybe they got a little bit of momentum. That being said, I went with Arizona. I went with the under. I think they win this game 23 to 3 in some dumb <laughs> shit. Uh, so here we go. Uh, this one, this might be the this this one might get some mixed results. We'll see here. Arizona State is getting 31 points on the road at USC with an under over of 61. Oh, These USC lines are fucking crazy. It's not enough. It's not enough points. <laughs> the Trojans and giving that over. <laughs> I think the Trojans could beat them 52 to. 22. I think this is going to be a, I think it's going to be an absolute bloodbath down there. I mean, the Sun Devils are, they're battling, but they're just, they're just not on the same level as those Trojans. Yeah, I would go USC in the over. (laughs) I just, every time we have an Arizona State game, I just, I feel like I'm flying blind. I just have no idea what we're going to get. Like, I know they're going to be bad. I just don't know how bad, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, they have good players. Like when you watch them play, they they have guys who make good plays. That quarterback isn't like he doesn't look inept. Yeah. It's just they just look so like unorganized and like identity less. Like it's just what are they what are they playing for? Yeah, what are they playing for anymore? Yeah, is this it's, is this in USC LA? No, uh, in, uh, in LA. Yeah, in LA. That's LA. Okay. So See, it'll if be you're going on the road, knowing you're just gonna get your shit kicked in. Why are you even going, man? Mm-hmm. Like, in what, a stadium that's that? only going to be sixty percent full. <laughs> yeah, just what's the point? I'm with you though. Their yeah. quarterback made some plays. I could, I could can play. Yeah, he's yeah. It, but it does look like a bunch of guys were trying to improve their stock to transfer somewhere, um, which is 
probably pretty accurate to what's actually yeah. going on. They're going to get rated. So. Yeah. Last on the docket here, we have the Stanford Cardinal getting 17 at Autzen against our Ducks under over of 63 and a half. Oh, the last game I also went USC in the over because I'm going USC in the over every fucking time. Every time. I don't really care what it is. <laughs> oh, wow. 17. What did you say the over under was? 57? 63 and a half. Oh, okay. Back to Give me the ducks and give me the over. I think the Cardinal are able to put up some points in this weird game and some, uh, some, I mean, again, it's packed with after dark, anything can happen, but I think the ducks do handle their business and I think they do cover. I think that's, it's been a problem for them against these kinds of teams and these kinds of situations, but I think they beat the Cardinal by three touchdowns. This is a very a side note. We didn't talk about the uh, the bad beat nature of the Washington State no, game. We no, <laughs> we didn't. No, we didn't. I think Shane and I might have been on the wrong end of that. That one, touchdown I know was that, really important I know that I was. to some people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Give me Oregon, but give me the under. I think the defense really mm. needs to make a stand. They need to make a statement. And I think that the offense does enough to get – I mean, we've seen that Landing is willing to put Thompson and backups into the game middle of the third quarter. And yeah, way too the early. Game is, yeah, even if the game's, you know, in hand by 30, you know, it doesn't need to be a 40-point game for him to put the backups in. So I think we'll see the backups for, you know, from that 11 o'clock hour on will be all backups for the rest of the night. So, um, yeah. yeah. Till, till midnight, till the, the yeah, clock starts. From 11 to 1, it's just kind of <laughs> <laughs> uh, I went with the Ducks, and I went with the over here. Uh, I am not taking the Oregon's under until they show me that they can, you know, play solid defense throughout the entire game. I think they've only gone under in one game so far this year, and it's just we – I think, like, as a whole, I know I've done this, but we kind of looked at this team as, like, a defensive team coming into the season – and it's slowly week by week kind of shifted. And I think we've gotten to the point now where it's like the strong suit of this team is the offense. The offense is actually what's going to keep them in games. The defense is what's going to be, if they play just good enough, they can beat some teams. And if they play good, then they can beat the shit out of some teams. That's just so crazy how different that is from our perception of this team coming into the season where we're like, man, this defense is going to win some games. If Bo Nix can just manage the game and not make mm-hmm. mistakes, I mean, they can let the defense win some games. And then so far, it's like, listen to what you just said. It's just the complete well, opposite. Even listening to our last episode, I was doing that earlier today, and we were like, man, if Bo Nix could just put these two things together, <laughs> like, I just don't know if he can do it, though. And then he's just out there looking like fucking like this. a lot. Yeah, Johnny Manziel, Steve Young, like it's like he's just running everywhere doing these things. But then it's also like super composed week. We give a ton of credit to the offensive line for not allowing a sack this year. But it's also Bo Nix isn't fucking letting anybody get near him. He's getting the ball out Mm -hmm. of his hands fast. He's making good decisions. He's using his legs in only the best and safest situation. He's yet to even really like aside from going from that going for the first down against BYU where he put himself in harm's way, he's ducking out of bounds, like smiling, Mm -hmm. high-fiving people, getting back to the line of scrimmage. I mean, just absolute, like, complete composure. And like I said earlier, just looks like like the adult version of himself playing football. Well, and I think my favorite thing to see this year, and he's only done it a few times, but there's been a few times, which is more than I expected, he's throwing the ball away. You know, Mm -hmm. he just sailed that out of bounds. And it's like, yeah. That's possible. That's not going to kill you. I love that. That's I think great. my Keep favorite. That. 
my favorite play from that Cougar game was in the second quarter, I think. And there was a free blitzer coming off the edge and Bo Nix did that backwards rollout and just rolled out deep. Nobody was there, threw it away. And I was like, okay, that was really impressive. His feel out of the pocket. Yeah. His feel and sense for the pocket is much better than um, what I saw from him at Auburn. He had really, really happy feet down there at Auburn and he looks much more composed, much more comfortable here in good old Eugene. So maybe, maybe there's something to him uh, getting, you know, living with mom and getting that, that home cooking and whatnot. And the Dillingham aspect of this can't be overshadowed. I mean, that was one of the main questions. We're like, what? I mean, he had a good year with Dillingham as a freshman. And we're thinking like, that was a variable coming into this. He gets back with an offensive coordinator, you know, they may be able to click. And so far, I don't know if that's the sole reason for this, um, I don't want to give that 100% of the credit, but it's something. And so I think that he's really comfortable. They're comfortable together. And it's, you know, we'll see it continue to grow, I hope, throughout the, the rest of the year. But, you know, it's that's proven to be a big factor so far. Well, we talked about coaches going to their alma mater and the amount of pressure that they is put on their shoulders from doing that. I think sometimes going to your dream school that is like the school in your backyard growing up that you're dad played at or whatever and like you're this legacy and you come in as like this super high recruit and i mean he had as much pressure on him as anybody and that's why it was such a roller coaster for him and now here he's like cool west coast pot's legal like like, the weather's pretty like just normal like all right this is is so bad let's go play some football today not everybody's a first round draft pick on the defense that i'm playing every single game (laughs) but even more than that that legacy pressure that you mentioned just look at his first career collegiate game. He led a comeback against a really good Oregon team on a national stage and kind of announced himself as like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a really good quarterback. And we saw a lot of the falls, the the flaws after that. And so I just think that it kind of built up in a strange way against him early on. Um, But it's nice to see him kind of reach that ceiling that we thought that he could have. Fucking Auburn. All right. (laughs) Um, all right. I think we've reached the end here of duck generic corner. So we are at that fun time of the podcast where, you know, a lot of people will make it here to the end, but not as many. So we can get off some of our, some of our hot takes. We can get something off our chest if we need to, only if it's there, don't force it. I know I'm anybody to force anything. What's there, but, uh, if anybody's got something here, go ahead and uh, throw it here onto the fire. Um, I don't think I really have anything this week myself. Uh, Mariners are just ripping my heart out. They're just absolutely putting me in so much stress that is unnecessary. But the, the, the Orioles, I think lost again tonight. So they're playing right now, maybe. So still three games up. So we're still, we're still looking at playoffs, baby. Yeah. I think my Justin flow take is probably my hottest take so far. And I let that fly. Well, that and the fact that I not a hundred percent sold on him. Just watching yeah. him play. I, I, I feel like the, but I mean, it's again, it's the, it's that recruiting facade where, you know, they tell you that this guy is going to be the best thing ever. And then you see him and he's just Adonis human. And I, I like his energy to a point. Um, I just think that he has put the defense in some bad situations on critical plays. Just, I've been kind of going back and singling him out and watching him just kind of like, get frozen on a running back or just kind of leave gaps open within the defense. A lot of just like, there's been so much room open in the middle of the field. And I know schematically with that, that kind of like cover two to cover one, like hybrid defense they play is going to leave that area of the field susceptible. 
But that's where I was looking at, you know, these inside linebackers, if they could really step up and and make some changes there. And whether or not they're, they're being asked to do that, it's beyond me. And I'm not good enough at the X's and O's of football. Just with my eyes watching the games, I've just felt like he has been good. But I've expected a lot. Yeah. So. Oh, he's someone where I he can te- technically go to the draft mm-hmm. after this because he's spent enough time in college, but he is someone that I think next year, another year under landing and with this defensive staff would do such wonders for him and his growth because, you know, this is really his first collegiate season. Mm-hmm. He's really basically a freshman right now, mm-hmm. even though the, the numbers don't say that. So um, I think that he will continue to grow. I know I've, I've had a lot of the same concerns that you've had, Shane, um, just watching him so far this year. But, you know, we know the talent is there. We know that if he can put it all together, he can be really good. But it's kind of just honing that energy and putting it towards the right things. Right now, like you said, he's just kind of a rabid dog out there and chasing his own tail. Doesn't really know what to do when he when he gets in the right spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean I it's 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 our fault. Like I said, this is the greatest linebacking core in school history. So it's not like it, <laughs> it is my fault. Like if Je- Justin, if you're listening to this, this is so unfair. Like so unfair. <laughs> he kind of reminds me of uh, John Favreau's character from The Replacements. Oh, yeah. I want the ball. Go get the ball. I want the ball. Go get the ball. (laughs) (laughs) Always Uh, find a way to bring the replacements in. Such a great movie. Once a month. Such a great movie. Go go check that out. Oh, one other small thing. This is not going to be a a topic, but one thing I wanted to touch on. Chris Hudson looks looked pretty good. Um, I forget his total stat line, but I think he had five catches. I I closed my tab with the stats on it, but you know, a couple of of long routes, and I think he stumbled on a, a. pass a reception that could have easily been a touchdown if he just mm-hmm. didn't get tripped up by the turf monster so uh i'm kind of looking for him to break out in the next couple of games because he's putting the, the pieces together yeah five five grabs 72 yards solid day yeah, that's solid by day. far the best we've seen from him this year mm-hmm. yep absolutely. yeah and it, it was ball was a little bit overthrown you can't really put the yeah. stumble on him it was kind of a mixture of just him trying to secure the ball make sure that he didn't drop it and got his feet earned because he did like the the yeah. kind of like somersault, like yeah. secure the ball, but which I'm a huge fan of any anybody pulling that. But he's he's establishing that connection with Knicks. We've seen now, and we I just want to see that grow over the next you know eight quarters of play. Uh, once again, really fun to see Mr. Cam McCormick get in the end zone. Just love rooting for that guy. Uh, he's just uh, just a classic classic duck. We should we should look at him for Flockpot Hall of Fame. I was going to say we, he's not already. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I know there's not enough, not enough on field stats. Yeah. I mean, as a, year. as a person, we were just waiting for the comeback basically mm-hmm. to just like tie it all. I mean, in. you've had like what, nine years to put him in the whole thing. So. <laughs> he does seem to be Oregon's version of Van Wilder there for the football team. He's, 20, so. he's our age. So Dude, even when they, sh- out there. well, our age, <laughs> how dare you, sir? Fast and loose with our age. But uh, yeah, when you yeah. see him on the uh, the sideline, you're like, oh, shit, that's a grown man. Like, play for BYU. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, he's on the wrong sideline during the BYU game. All right. Uh, thank you for still listening, Mom. Uh, always nice to have you listening. And as always, take care of your chicken. Take care of your mentals. We appreciate you. We love you. We out. Peace.
Sorry. Now. 
Shout a little bit louder now. Shout a little bit louder now. Shout a little bit louder now. Shout a little bit louder now. Shout a little bit louder now. Shout a little bit louder now. Shout a little bit louder now. Shout a little bit louder now. Shout a little bit louder now.